1: From the moment we learn to walk, we begin to realize the potential of every step.
0: There it is. There it is.
1: We visualize that moment. We internalize that desire. And we mobilize our bodies to take hold of that potential. I know what you may be thinking. What's so incredible about a step? Without steps, we are stuck, paralyzed, crippled by fear, by complacency, by numbness, by the tyranny of the present. Without steps, our muscles become stagnant and our minds become weak. We were created to move. Every time we signal the muscles in our legs to take action, we reject the inertia of insignificance and take hold of our God-given purpose. We were created to make change. When we take steps, the people in our lives are impacted by the momentum. Our next steps enable others to take theirs. So we move as to make change in their lives as well. But there's a war that rages against every step. It's not a war fought with weapons or with fists. It's not a war for money or power. It's a war for our very souls. A war to keep us paralyzed instead of passionately pursuing our purpose. It's a war that fights to keep us comfortable, stationary, and off of our feet because our next steps are a threat to the ways of this world. One step taken at just the right time can change the world forever, but we have an enemy who wants us out of the battle and obsessed with ourselves. This enemy lies to us and he tells us that we don't have it in us to make a difference. He wants us to put our feet up, sit back and relax and watch him win the war. But we won't quit moving. So many people spend their lives completely immobilized by the American dream. They use their God given steps to run away from the battle instead of into it. But we were made to sweat, to push, to feel our hearts beating out of our chests as we run towards something greater than ourselves we were made to pursue past the breaking point toward a victory and glory more wonderful than any of us can imagine we live in a state of spiritual and physical darkness depression divorce division wreak havoc on our communities we're surrounded by people who have never known the joy of pursuing something greater for themselves we live in a world motivated by money and personal success rather than the betterment of our fellow man we were never meant to sit back and watch people destroy themselves. We are here to sacrifice, to give of ourselves, and to lay down our lives like Christ laid down his. For us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we must begin to move our feet and take steps toward becoming more loving, more forgiving, more gracious, more compassionate, more giving, and more merciful. Our muscles will burn. Sometimes we may want to turn back, but we won't stop. Self-sacrifice isn't an idea or an abstract thought. It's a vision for God's church today. So we stretch out our stride and pick up the pace with clear eyes and hearts full of the love of God. What we have is not ours. What we are is not a product of our own will. But we have all been purchased, bought with a price, and assigned infinite value by the infinite one who valued us enough to die. This God is all loving, completely forgiving, unwavering, unstoppable, uncomparable. This God gives us the power and the heart of a fighter to wage an all-out war against complacency and greed. This is our next step.
0: Come on! So good! Hey, welcome to church today. My name is Brian. I am one of the pastors here, and we are just privileged and honored that you're with us. If you are brand new, thank you so much uh, for spending this morning with us. Let's welcome everybody who's with us online as well. Thank you for being here. We're so glad that you're with us. Also, a special hello and ahoy to our team in Prague right now. Give them a hand as they're serving. Yep. Yeah. We love you guys. If you guys don't know, we have a team currently in Prague who, uh, every week, there's actually a group of people that watch ACF online. It's our first campus, all the way in Czech Republic, watching online, being part of our church. We have uh, a team, Brent and Liz, who are there serving in Prague. They're part of our ACF family, and they're doing great things there, and we also have a group of people we've just sent over there who have been doing a camp, putting on a camp for orphan kids in Czech Republic, and so we are so glad that you guys with us and hope that uh, you're doing well it's evening uh, at some point there for them so we are uh, we are in a series of talks here uh, kind of finishing up this whole uh, journey through the book of acts and so over the the course of the past couple of weeks we are actually finishing up this, this one series, walking through the book of Acts, and then also talking about our next steps as a church. And as you came in, you got that little uh, pamphlet on your seat that gives you more details about where we're going uh, as a church. And, and this is a really important time for us. I, I really feel like what we're doing right now is setting a trajectory for ACF Church for the next five years at least. That what we do right now, how we make decisions, the choices we make to lean into what God is calling us to are really going to set us out on a mission here over the next few years. And so I'm excited about that. I've been each week giving you sort of a, an upsta- a, a update on how we're performing our Acts 1-8 mission. This idea that we want to be a people who are from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's the kind of church we want to be. And so this is all pushing towards a really important week. This is, uh, we're calling it Commitment Week. And this is the week that you're bringing in these commitment cards that are in the packet that you got on your seat. And hopefully you've been praying about this. Maybe this has been pinned up on your refrigerator, uh, sitting somewhere in your car. But you've just been praying about what God is calling you to do so that we might take our next step as a church. And, and on Commitment Week, we're actually going to be receiving all of these. So make sure you bring that with you on Commitment Week, and we're going to receive these together. It won't be the only week that we receive those commitment cards, but it's the beginning of us starting to sort of align what we do as a church towards our Acts 1-8 mission. And the first part of our Acts 1-8 mission is our Jerusalem And our Jerusalem is really to finish out this location, this building on Brooks Loop. What a gift this place is. It's so cool that we get to sit right here on this high traffic corner in Eagle River with thousands of cars that drive by every single day. This place is such a gift to us. And and yet, over the past few years, we've realized that it needed some upgrades and some repairs. The building's, I think, 40-something years old, built many, many years ago. And it's a strong building, but then after the earthquake, we realized we definitely have some work to do. And so we've been out of this building for 16 weeks, and if you're brand new, you don't even know that, but we've actually been meeting in Eagle River High School, and now we're back in this space. And the goal is to finish out this building and this property. Uh, As you can see, this auditorium has some doors on the back, and and many times we have those doors open, and we're going to use this whole space as auditorium which means that we no longer have a lobby. Our lobby is now kind of part of this space, and our goal is to create a a space outside of the front of the building that's going to be sort of like a living room. And and what I mean by that is it's a place for people to build relationships and have conversations, and hopefully for you to take your next steps with Jesus. We really want to help people to not just come to church on Sunday morning, but to actually grow as disciples of Jesus. And that means, especially in Alaska, we need some indoor space to do that. And in fact, we have some renderings, I think, of what that might look like. Yeah, here it is. So this is the front of the building, a couple of garage doors that can open up in the summer. A couple dudes, I'm not sure who they are, but um, they're already enjoying it. And then we've got this lobby space that's going to be, once again, a place where people will be able to gather outside of the, the actual church service. And get engaged one way or another. You guys see the tent out front? Uh, That works, but people don't like to linger when it's 20 below. Uh, That's just kind of how it works. We need some indoor space to do that. So, a big part of the financial goal in our Acts 1 8 mission is to finish this building as well as all the landscaping and everything that needs to be done on this facility. One thing we hear a lot when people come in this building is, oh, I was really surprised. That's not what you really want people to hear when they walk in. They're like, this looks awesome. I didn't think so when I looked at the outside. When I came in, it looked great. And so our goal is to make the outside look a little bit like the inside. It looks great in here, It's still a a little bit outdated and run down on the outside of our building. Um, Our roof has about six inches of moss growing on it. We'd like to do something about that. So just some things to finish out this space. But if you're here today and you're like me, you may be asking the question, does God even care about a building, right? Like, does God even care about this space? And and I really believe the answer is yes, he does. He really does care about it. In fact, if you read the Bible, you see that God is very specific about how the temple was built and what materials were used and, and how they treated this place because it was a place of worship. And I believe even today, in these buildings, these buildings represent something to our community. When your friends and neighbors, our friends and neighbors drive by and they see a parking lot full of cars and they see a building that's being worked on, what they think to themselves is there's something alive in that place. And isn't that the message we want our friends to think about the church, right? And we want people thinking, man, there's something dying in that place. We want them to think, no, there's something alive and living in that place. And there is here in ACF Church. And so we really want to put some resources into making this a beacon of light for the gospel for the next 50 years. The people for for the next 50 years would drive by this place, and this place would still be standing as a beacon of light. Uh, And also we've said that this is our base camp. This building is a base camp where we pull everybody in, and we talk about where God is calling us to, and then we're sent out into the world, just like we see in Acts 1-8. And so, once again, this place does matter. God does care about it, and we want to do a good job of caring for it so that it will be serving us and serving uh, the community for many, many years to come. So, that is our Jerusalem. We're excited about that. We talked last week about how we want to move beyond that, though, uh, into our Judea. And our Judea, as we said last week, is we've sensed that God is calling us to plant a second campus, that we, we really feel like God wants to move beyond this property into other properties. That we could use the resources of ACF Church to share the gospel beyond these walls. So a lot of details are still left to be worked out. But to plant a, a second campus means probably acquiring a piece of property. It, it means staffing and infrastructure to make that happen. There's a, there is a cost to all of these things. And so we really want to move forward on that as soon as we can. And so that is our Judea. Today I want to talk about our Samaria. So Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria? How are we moving beyond even this state into uh, beyond uh, this state of Alaska into maybe the country and, 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 and moving beyond these walls? And so um, one thing about ACF, we are a really specific kind of church. Uh, I moved up here 10 years ago and there were about 30 people that were part of ACF. I remember it was my wife and I and then our daughter at that point, uh, Cadence, who is about two years old, And she'd go downstairs, and she would do kids' church with Miss Barb. And Miss Barb and her would hang out every week. There were no other kids her age. We'd just pray every week, God, bring her some friends. We want her to have some friends in kids' church. And I still remember one week, this is so vivid in my mind, I was standing on a stage, not this stage, but a a different stage, with a guitar because I was leading worship. And I was tuning my guitar, and I looked back, and this couple comes walking in the door. And they're our age. And my wife, up until this point, my wife and I had no other friends at the church or anybody that came to our church that was our age. And so we're like, oh, how do we not just assault them? Because we want to be their friends, you know? And we're like, oh, man, can we hang out? And, and, and so we didn't want to come on too strong. But I still remember Tyler and Jenna, they, they showed up. They're from the south, and they're a young army couple. And they wanted to just lean into this church family, and they loved what was going on here. And they were the beginning of this movement because They left church that week. They came back the next week. Guess what they did? They brought some friends to church. It's a good thing to bring your friends to church. They brought some friends who were also our age. And so Amanda and I are just ecstatic. Now we've got a group of of people that are kind of in the same stage of life that we can hang out with, you know? So we're so excited about that. And then over time, we saw more military people show up at ACF Church. So just as a quick poll, real quick, who here is part of a military family at ACF. Raise your hand. So everybody. in the, Okay, no, almost, right? Look around. If you ever wondered if, if military people are at ACF, now you know we are full of military people. Here's the thing. We didn't set out to do that. In fact, I've had people ask me, how, how do you reach military people? And, and, and to some of it, some of it's a mystery, right? Because God just brings who he will but in many ways, I bring it back to that, that first couple who said, we want to show up to church, but we're going to live missional lifestyles. We're going to actually reach our friends, and many of their friends were military people. Here's the thing about military people. You guys move. I love you, but you move, right? And, and, and I can say that because I was a military kid, and I, I remember going from place to place to place and always having to kind of eject after a couple of years. And so I remember the first few years being so painful and thinking, man, God, I, I wish people would stick around longer, but then the military takes them across the world, and, and it was hard to see our friends move on, but then it clicked. God has given us a gift. God has given us this amazing opportunity as ACF to be a sending church, that, that we actually on the government's dime have missionaries leaving every single month. <laughs> Praise God for that. Going across, Yeah, we can celebrate that. So instead of seeing it as something that's a challenge, now, now all of a sudden we're going, well, God, what are you doing? Maybe, maybe God is preparing us for something. Maybe God has a specific mission for our church. And so we decided to launch this page on our website. Um, it's called ACF Footprint. And what we asked people to do as they were leaving is just to send in an email that said, hey, would you give us your email address, your phone number, and your new location? And we'd love to put you up on this map somewhere. And then when people move to your location, we're going to actually connect them with you. And, and you don't have to be, you know, like a, a big leader in a, in a church. You just have to be somebody who's willing to guide others and to, to, to meet up with them. And so we've seen this over the years that all of these are real locations where people from ACF have moved away and said, we will be a point of contact. We will help them make sure, you know, where do our kids go to school and what church should I go to and how do I plug into the community? Uh, What what if maybe you're a a very young believer in Jesus and, and you move away? Like, how do I continue to grow? And so we've seen God develop this network of people way beyond our walls. And we sense that this is part of our Samaria, part of where God is calling us to move. And we started dreaming, what if, what if we could send people out from ACF Church and we knew where they would land, And what if we could help them land in a community, in a space where where we could continue to serve them in this next season? We could continue to disciple them in this next season. Because here's what I know, when people leave Alaska, they don't always leave healthy. They don't always leave like motivated to find a church or motivated to continue on in their journey of faith. People leave Alaska and we sort of go, man, I'm going to pray for you, good luck, Right? But what if we as a community started planting what we're calling these little ACF outposts across the world? That we started seeing these these little almost like house churches coming up where we would resource them and equip them to be a landing place and a sending place for ACF church. Here's what we've seen is that across the U.S. there are bases and locations where people come from at a more rapid rate. And people are coming from these locations, we're also sending them to these locations. So what if as you moved away, you're like, man, I'm able to lead, you know, to land at Fort Bragg. And and there's already an ACF outpost at Bragg where there's people who are part of this community who have a a place where I can show up on a Sunday morning or in the middle of the week. We're going to watch church. We're going to stream in online. We're going to discuss together. What if they did outreach like we do? And so on Impact Eagle River here in September, they're out serving their community while we're serving our community. What if every one of these locations was a place where people were serving across the world? Think of the impact that God could use that for. And so this is our Samaria. I don't know about you, I'm excited about it. Anybody else? I'm stoked. I'm stoked that we could continue to serve people in this next season. And maybe you're thinking, well, Brian, there are churches already in these locations. And there are, and I agree. But here's the deal. We're not saying that we're the answer to all these problems. We're not saying that ACF is the answer and we're the only church. What we are saying is that it breaks our hearts that we can't continue serving those who move on. So we want to be part of the solution. We want to be part of serving them in this next season. We want to make disciples even beyond the state of Alaska if we can continue to do so. So here's simply uh, the mission. The mission is to use our resources to connect and equip people moving to and from Alaska. And these little ACF outposts, would, they'd gather in a home. They'd have a discussion. They'd pray together. They would serve together. They would invite their friends to come over to this location. We would send them resources, equip them. We might fly pastors to go, you know, help disciple the leaders of these different groups. There's so many things that we could do. So we've set out a goal of planting 10 of these ACF outposts. We don't know the timeline yet, but here's what I know. The gears are already turning. We already have people asking us about this. Maybe you're online right now, and you're like, oh, God is telling me we need to host one of these. I met with a couple leaders who are here currently who know they may be moving, who are like, we want to provide leadership for this. We, what, if, what if we were part of this leadership to, to, to help equip these people to host outposts in their homes? And so the gears are turning. God's already at work, which is so cool. And so we sense that this is where we're moving. Some of you here, some of you are like, that's really aggressive and some of you, when you came into this building the first week, you just wanted to kind of take a breath for a few minutes, and Pastor Brian got up here and started shouting about what's next, and you're just like, can we just rest? Um, Here's my answer. Nope, we can't. There's just too much to do, and now here's the deal. You will always hear me encouraging us to rest, and that rest is a good thing, but at the same time, when we rest, we're actually preparing for what's next, And we sense that as a church, God is moving us into this next season, that we have a big mission to go after, a big aggressive mission. And today I want to talk about what it means to be aggressive. I want to talk about what it means to have an aggressive mission. And it's interesting, this word aggressive kind of takes on a negative connotation, doesn't it? I mean, in our culture, when we think of aggression, we think don't be too aggressive, right? Unless you're playing football, which here comes college football. It's coming, right? We're excited about that. But in other areas, we're like, no, no, don't be aggressive. Just kind of keep that, keep that down. And when I think of aggressive, I think of words like intensity. I think of somebody who won't back down. I think of somebody who is giving everything. Somebody who does whatever it takes to go after the thing that they're after. And a simple definition of aggression is a forceful action or procedure intended to Dominate. Now when you when you read that you're like is that good? I guess it depends on what you're trying to dominate, right? If you're trying to dominate other people, that's probably not a good thing. But what if there's a good thing that you're trying to aggressively go after, right? I mean what if for you you're like I got lots of debt. I want to aggressively go after my debt intending to dominate my debt, right? I'd say that's a good thing to do, right? Maybe you've got kids and you're like, I love my kids, I love my teenagers, I want to aggressively lead them and serve them and help them to be the most healthy teenagers they can possibly be. Maybe you've got an addiction of some kind, you're trying to quit smoking, trying to quit drinking, right? Uh, maybe you've got like a drug addiction that you're struggling with. What if you were aggressively going after those things to beat the things that are, that are hurting you or coming against you, right? That, that's a good thing. I think one of the problems when we think of aggression is we think of anger, Right? Maybe you've had unhealthy, aggressive people in your life. You've had people who came at you in a really unhealthy way. But I'll tell you, anger isn't always a bad thing. There's actually what I would call godly anger. It's this like fire in your belly. This thing that you're just like, man, God is, God is calling me to do something about this problem that's in the world. He actually wants me to, to go after this. I was talking with a friend who uh, spent some time in Haiti this morning and and he was like yeah we walked through this, this terrible slum and these kids are just man they're living on nothing they don't have any clothes uh, to to wear any food to put in their stomachs and so he's talking about man god was calling us to be part of the solution this this fire burning in his stomach this anger that these people are in this situation that caused him to act aggressively to even go across the world to be a part of that solution you see Ephesians 4:26 says this it says be angry And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now some of you married people in the room, you're like, I've read that verse before, right? And I've tried to do that. And I've stayed up till like midnight trying to work it out with my spouse. But there's this other part that I've always read over. And that's the first part that just says, be angry. Now the question is, is that prescriptive? Is the Bible really telling us to be angry? I, I think there are things that we should be angry about. I mean, I think I would actually prescribe to you that if you're not angry about certain things in the world, that your heart's not beaten, that you you can actually love Jesus and not be a little angry or a lot angry about some things that are happening around us. And so there is a way to be angry, a godly anger that leads to us going after the right things in life. In fact, I would say that godly anger leads to goal-crushing aggression. That God wants us to have a fire in our bellies for something, to believe in something. He's going to give us a calling in our lives. And it's going to lead to this goal-crushing aggression where instead of sort of watching things happen or going, oh, one day maybe I'll be a part of that, one day I'll step into this, maybe when, you know, when, when, when the kids get out of school or you know, finances are a little bit bad, maybe then I'll lean in. Instead, being aggressive about the things that God is calling us to in a way that crushes those goals. It's like, man, we actually accomplished, accomplished some things. We went after it and saw some things happen. Do You guys know that Jesus, I would say, is, is and was the most aggressive man who ever lived which may not fit your portrait of Jesus. Do you guys, maybe your grandmother had the little picture of Jesus in the house where he's kind of staring up at the sky, looks like he's dreaming of, you know, birds and flowers or something like that, and you think that's not a very aggressive man. And yet what we see in Jesus is this man is so, this man, this man before he went to the cross is sweating drops of blood. Now, I don't know what kind of things you've gone after or what kind of stress you've felt as you've gone after something so aggressively, but I have never sweat drops of blood. I was so intense. Talk about a moment of intensity and aggression. Jesus sweats drops of blood, and then he goes to the cross, and he dies for the sins of humanity. Tell me that's not aggressive. I mean, we have an aggressive God who doesn't stand at a distance, right, and say, maybe when you figure it out, Maybe when you guys deal with your sin, then we can have a relationship. Instead, he says, I will be the solution. I will send my son to die in your place so that we can be healed, so that this relationship can be healed, so that you can be made right, so that you can go from being a dead person to a living person. I will die for you. That's aggression, right? In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 10. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Jesus divides. It's why when Paul shares the gospel from place to place throughout the book of Acts, these riots break out. People start screaming at one another. It divides the community because that's what Jesus does. Even the scriptures themselves divide. Hebrews 4.12 it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I mean, the Bible's powerful, right? It's, it's, it's aggressive. I mean, it, and what this scripture is saying is that over, the, over time, as you read the scriptures, they read you, right? And you start to, they start to reveal things in your heart. They start to show you the darkness that's inside of you, and you realize the battle that's inside of your soul. The part of you that loves God, the part of you that wants to follow after what's good, and the part of you that doesn't, and we're forced to make a decision: where will our loyalties lie—in Christ or in ourselves? Right? It's divi- it's divisive. It's aggressive. This is what the gospel is. And so here's the journey we're on as a church with this whole ACF next next step thing. I want you to be a little uncomfortable. I want you to lean into the the, the tension in your heart. Uh, I, I said it last week. People keep coming up to me and they're like, "How are you doing?" You keep talking about money, and I'm like, "I'm doing well. It's you guys I'm worried about because you are visibly uncomfortable. I mean, I can watch you. You start squirming in your seats and like crossing your legs different directions, and like you're. With, I can see you get visibly uncomfortable when the pastor mentions money, right? So tell me it's not a problem. Tell me there's not something going on when we bring up something that, that is such a big part of our lives in the church and people look for an exit, right? Tell me there's not a problem when, when we can't sit through a church service or be around. It's why maybe some of you have been tempted to skip out on church for the next few weeks and then come back maybe when we do like an, a relationship series, right? Like, like then I'm going to be back, right? Tell me how to date better. Tell me how to find a good woman. But like until then, bro, like you're getting in my business, Tell me money doesn't have our hearts, because it does. Listen, ACF Next Step is about making some war. It's a war against greed. It's a war for good things, for the mission that God has for us. And I'll tell you this, that you can't have peace in your life until you make war with your sin. Until you're willing to, instead of passively looking at the things in your life and going, man, I I hope that gets better someday, you know? I hope one day I stop looking at pornography I hope one day I stop sleeping around. I hope one day I stop drinking so much. It's not just going to happen. You're going to have to make war with the things that you don't want in your life. And you're going to have to make war for the things that you do want in your life. And the same is true when it comes to our finances. We are making a war. And so, like any war, there will be casualties. There will be those of you who never come back. There will be people who are like, man, it just got bad in my house, Brian. And I'm already hearing about people who are like, yeah, we started talking money, me and my wife, and it got raw, right? It's just going to happen. But also know this, it's worth it. It's worth it. The peace that you want in your life comes through making war with the things that God doesn't want for you. Making war with the things that you know are eating your heart alive alive. This man, Paul, he, um, he makes a lot of war where he goes. He's very intense. One word to, to uh, describe this man, Paul, would be aggressive. He's an aggressive man. And he talks about wealth specifically as he writes to his young friend, Timothy. And he says this, A devout life brings wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Since we entered the world penniless, we will leave it penniless. How many of you know that to be true, Right? Can't take it with you when you die, right? If we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that's enough. Now, I've said that, but do we really believe that? Right? But you, Timothy, man of God, run from from your life from all of this. That's aggressive language. Run for, for your life. Pursue a righteous life, a life of wonder, faith, love, steadiness, courtesy. Run hard and fast, in the faith, seize the eternal life, the life you were called to, the life you so fervently embraced in the presence of so many witnesses. Go hard and strong after the things that God has for you or you will not take hold of them. Know that to be true. You cannot passively take hold of the things that God has for you. You will never take hold of them. You will not wander into holiness. You will wander away from it. Let me, know, let me tell you that. We do not naturally have a bent towards getting better and more healthy and more generous. You will have to fight for the things that God has for you. The same is true in our church. Our church could easily wander into a place of passivity. This community can easily wander into a place where we just sort of watch the world go by us. Where we go, hey, look at our comfy chairs. Do you know God doesn't care about our comfy chairs if people aren't getting saved, right? If lives aren't being transformed, if we're not becoming more like Christ and taking our next steps, who cares about comfy chairs? And that just rhymed. I didn't even <laughs> plan that. It's true. It's true. Acts 21 is where we're going to be. If you got a Bible, open it up. This is a lot of scripture. Did you read your scripture this week? You guys got a little bookmark with all the Acts text? It was a lot, wasn't it? It was a lot. Some of you skipped. I know you did. It's okay. I'm just going to read a, a small portion of this. Because at this point in Paul's journey, he's he's basically going from courtroom to courtroom, uh, making a case for the gospel. He keeps bringing it back to Jesus, which I love. He doesn't call all his his friends to go picket outside the courtroom and say, let Paul out. He just, every chance he gets, every time he gets a microphone, he says, it's all about Jesus. keeps bringing it back to Christ. And in this moment, we see Paul, he's, he's staying with Philip in Caesarea, there's this group of people that he's speaking with, and these people love Paul. I mean, Paul is really like a spiritual father to so many people at this point. And so they love him, they care for him. And what you're going to see in this moment is that even the Christians can barely stomach how aggressive Paul is. Like, even the Christians are like, man, mm, Paul, I don't know if you're, you're probably pushing it a little too hard. And they're worried about him, they care for him. And here's what it says. It says, After we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we fell silent and said, The Lord's will be done. So here you have Christians protesting about Paul's aggression about the gospel. And you've got this prophet who's like, Paul, here's what's going to happen. And he's right. Paul, your, 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 your feet are going to be bound, your hands are going to be bound, you're going to be put in prison and in chains for the gospel, right? And, and so they're weeping and they're, they're trying to call Paul back and like, Paul, I don't know if you should do this, maybe you should kind of cut it back, throttle back a little bit. Paul, here's what we know, Paul's aggression would lead to his arrest. It would lead him to chains. And it made me ask the question, what am I willing to be arrested for, Right? I mean, what are, what are you willing to be arrested for? Think about that. Not what have you been arrested for, right? Because some of you, especially in ACF Church, you guys have spent some time in jail. I get it. But what would you be willing for the right things to be arrested for? To have your freedom taken away? To be put in chains for? For Paul, the answer is simple. The gospel. The good news of Jesus is more than worthy of being put in prison for. And so this made me really wrestle this week. I was just thinking, what am I willing to do? And um, so with this whole ACF Next Step thing, what you need to know is that our family has been able to wrestle through this for a few months. So this may be kind of fresh for some of you. Uh, We're doing our training month. You've been praying, you've been fasting, just asking God, um, not just over this for ACF, but even for your own life. God, what are you calling me to? And so I'm already hearing about God working through that, which is so cool. But for us, we've been wrestling about this for months, and just asking God, like, God, what are you calling us to do? In fact, if I were in your seats, I would be asking, Brian, what are you doing? That's what I'd be asking. I think it's a valid question. Brian, what are you, like, are you in on this? And because if you, if I'm not in, then certainly you guys shouldn't be in on this whole thing. And so then, so I know that, and then I'm thinking, well, what do I share with the whole church, right? Because this, this can get weird, it can get awkward. Like, what should I share about my personal finances and about what we're doing? And so then I read through the book of Acts and I see that there's this biblical precedent for, for, for church leaders to be open financially. You know, you see Barnabas, he sells a field. He brings the money publicly to the apostles' feet as an example of generosity to the people. And the people were generous. The people started being generous with what they had because, I think in many ways, because, because he was a great leader he was open to doing that. So for me, I was just like, okay, I guess I gotta be honest. And so what you guys need to know is I'm, a, I'm an open book when it comes to finances. You can ask me any question you want to ask. Um, ACF is the same way. If you have any questions about how finances are used or why we're spending money on what, you need to ask those questions. And we will get you the answers to those questions. That there, there's, there's no secrecy involved with any of that. If you've come from maybe a church background where there was, we don't, we don't have that. We're very willing to share whatever information you need. And so what you need to know is I've just been praying and just thinking, and my wife and I, we've been going, God, God, what are you calling us to do? How can we be part of this mission? And so a few weeks ago, I was riding, riding my lawnmower. I do my best praying on the lawnmower. I don't know about you guys. This is where God speaks to me, is on the lawnmower. I love it. And so I'm riding around the yard. I got this little John Deere lawnmower, and... I'm just praying, going, God, what are you asking us to do? Maybe you'll give us a number that we can go after, that we can give to be part of this. And I came around the corner of my house, and I looked out, and off in front of me is pretty much my favorite thing that I own. It's It's a 1982 John Deere bulldozer. And uh, those of you who know me, you know I'm a, I'm a diesel mechanic. I love to fix stuff up and, and work on things. And so I have always wanted to own a piece of equipment. So here it is, my John Deere bulldozer, bright yellow, just standing there. And I swear to you, I heard God say to me, that's what I want. Isn't that like God, right? Isn't that just like God? Like, I just want the thing that you can't give me. That's what I want the most. And so I did one of these, like, double takes. Like, oh, sorry, a little static in my ear. Sorry, God, I can't really hear you um, and God was so clear, that's what I want. And so, so, I'm thinking, so then I'm doing the math in my head. Well, what's it worth? And, and I text a friend of mine, and I'm like, hey, uh, what is this bulldozer worth? And I had a number in my head, and he, he's, a, he's a guy that does equipment, sells a lot of equipment. He basically told me it's worth double what I thought it was worth. And so I have this Ananias and Sapphira moment going on in my own heart where I'm like, all right, God, you take half, I'll take half. We'll kind of split the difference. And fit. come on, you guys have been there. Don't look at me. Like, I'm the big sinner in the room. Come on. So I'm doing this deal with God, and, and God's like, no, I, I told, you, told you what I want. So I go inside to tell Amanda, and I'm like, ah, I think God wants us to give up the bulldozer. And she's like, that's good. I don't care about the stupid bulldozer anyway. Like, <laughs> give it up. And so so then, I, I kid you not, so we made this decision. Now I think I'm off the hook because we've made a decision. And so <laughs> last week, I'm riding the mower again. I got to stop riding the lawnmower. Because bad things happen to me. No, this is good. This is where God speaks. Um, and I felt like what God said to me the next week was, that was your easy number. That was your faithless number. Because here, here's what I'll tell you. Um, getting rid of that, we've already spent money on it. Like, it's really not going to be any skin off my back. It's not going to take any faith. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt to sell it. But it's not going to take any faith to move forward with that. And so we're in this conversation just so you know of going like we want to put everything on the table. So that, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to pull everything on the table and just ask God what he wants. We're going to pull out our investments. We're going to pull out our IRAs. We're going to pull out titles to things. And we're going to lay it out and we're going to just say God, what do you want? And I'm scared a little bit, I'll be honest. But here's the, coo- here's the cool thing. When you're willing to do that, this is, the, this is the exercise that I want us all to do. When you're willing to put it all out there, you can have peace with the things that God lets you keep, right? I mean, if God's like, here's what I want, but the rest, like, enjoy it. Because this is not a war on having money. You guys know money's not a bad thing. Money's a powerful resource. What I've learned over the years is there are righteous rich and unrighteous rich, and there are righteous poor and unrighteous poor. And you guys know, you can obsess about money as a college student that, you know, is eating ramen every night as much as somebody who is nearing retirement. You can obsess about money who's like, I got 20 bucks in the bank account, as much as you can obsess about money as somebody who's like, I've got millions of dollars in the bank account. It can be a God and an idol for all of us, right? Here's the deal. ACF next step. The the wrestling is the point. The discomfort that I see in the room when I talk about this, it's the point. Now, I think God's going to move us forward. I think there's things that he wants to call us into, but I want us to be willing to wrestle. In this moment, Paul's friends are trying to talk him out of this. They're trying to talk him out of moving forward. You see, kingdom aggression will will attract Christian affection. Kingdom aggression will attract Christians who are going to be like, hey, I don't even know if you should do that. Honestly, Whatever your next step is financially, it should probably make you want to puke in your mouth a little bit, and it's probably going to cause some of your Christian friends to be like, you should hold off, right? Like, don't push too hard. Relax a little bit. But if it's making people uncomfortable, you may be on the right track. I I had a good friend of mine um, earlier this year who sat me down, and and, and, uh, so I'm her pastor, but I'm also a friend of hers, and so she said, Pastor Brian, she said, I, I, w- I want to come to you and ask you for some financial advice. <laughs> Which I was like, this is unique. I don't hear this all the time. And so she goes, I am going to come into a lot of money here in the next year. And I was like, well, that's good news. And she goes, my first thought was that I want to give it all to the church. And so I'm like, all right. And then her next statement was, but I knew you wouldn't let me do that. And so now, listen, in my mind, I was going, I really don't want you to do that. Um, Because this is a friend of mine, right? This is somebody I'm like, you could pay off your house. You could buy a car. You could set yourself up for retirement. You could do a lot with this amount of money, right? And so literally everything in me said, don't do it, right? But She said, but I know you wouldn't let me do that. And I go, yes, I would, right? Which some of you are like, that's because you're a greedy pastor. And I get that. (laughs) But I swear to you, That was not what was going through my mind. What was going through my mind is, don't do it. I don't want that for you. I want you to take care of yourself for your future. But listen to me, that would not be loving her. I mean, it it, it is not loving to draw someone away from God's call on their life. And so what I told her was, pray hard. Pray hard. Seek wisdom. And then follow Jesus. And and listen, look me in the eyes today. That's all I'm asking you to do. Pray hard. Pray hard seek wisdom, and then follow Jesus. Aggressively go after Jesus. Take hold of the calling that God has placed on your life. As I said last week, I'm not asking you to give a dollar more or a dollar less than what God is telling you to do. Just do what he says is all I'm asking you to do. And again, if you're here and you're like, bro, this is my first week at church, relax. This is for the ACF family, right? If this is not your family, chill. Just hang out, enjoy the music. Right, like I'm glad you're here. Don't feel any pressure. This is for people, and this might cause you to make a decision. Right? Is this your church? You're gonna have to decide. Right? Paul had this completely different way of seeing money. It's completely way, different way of seeing it. This this aggressive way of going after the kingdom that gave him a, a different perspective. Acts 2033 says, I coveted no one's gold or, or silver apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, you parents in the room have said that before, right? I know I've said it to my kids, right? Give your sister the toy. It's more blessed to give than receive but the question is do you believe that because Paul did like Paul actually believes it's better to give than to receive over the course of generations of Christians there have been people who have believed this people who have aggressively gone after the things of the kingdom and I was thinking about aggressive people over the course of history and one particular woman came to mind would you put her picture up who's this Mother Teresa, right? I mean, just the first one that came to my mind was Mother Teresa, this woman. Does this look like the face of aggression to you? Because this is one of the most aggressive women who have ever walked the earth. If you, you should just read, if you've never read her story and some of the things she's done. She has started hospitals. She has rescued children out of war zones. I mean, she has, she has spent time with people that no one wants to spend time with. The, 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 the most sick and dying of the world, that's who she would run to. She was also awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. And some of the highest honors that can be given to a civilian have been given to her because she was aggressive for the kingdom of God. She was after something different. And this is what Paul's saying. He's like, I didn't go after anyone's gold or silver apparel. Like, it just, it kind of lost, it it lost the drive. I didn't go after that stuff. I didn't want it. I wanted something different. And I'll tell you today that the stories you'll die telling are stories of giving. The stories that will matter most to you in the end. Like, I'm not going to sit on my deathbed with Amanda one day and go, Babe, remember how I got that John Deere bulldozer? It was so good. I can hear my wife chuckling in the corner. I'm just not going to say that. You're not going to be like, Oh, remember when we got that 60-inch Vizio Bluetooth Wi-Fi capable 5.1 surround? I don't know. They do a lot. (laughs) TV. Remember when we got that? That's so good. I can die at peace. Right? These are just, nobody's going to care, right? The stories you die telling are stories of giving. It's going to be, remember when we sacrificed for that friend of ours and it changed her life? Remember when our church went after this thing and we were part of it and we saw God move and provide in our own lives? We believed in him in more ways than ever and we saw God change the hearts of people in our city. Remember that? Like remember when he gave of ourselves? That was so good. The stories that are gonna matter most, I think, identify to us what really matters most in this world. And they're gonna be stories of giving. You see, there are passive givers and aggressive givers. Passive givers say, I'll wait and see. In other words, let me just see how they do the first week, and and then maybe. Maybe they'll hit the goal, and I won't have to do anything. Yay, right? Whereas aggressive givers say, I'll move first. Because you know that your obedience is not gauged by anybody else's. This is not about the person next to you. This is about you following Jesus, right? Passive givers say, I've done enough. Brian, I gave to the last giving campaign you pretty much tap me out, bro, right? But aggressive givers say, I don't want to miss out. And this is not about just kind of, you know, trying to get, you know, milk from a turnip, right? It's not like milking every dollar out of somebody. It's about God is working in our hearts through the battle to rid ourselves of this greed in our hearts and also to use us for the kingdom in our city, in our nation, in our world. And and so aggressive givers say, I don't want to miss out. And I'll tell you, I was tempted As your pastor, listen, I've been part of all of the giving campaigns, so if anybody should be tired, it should be me, okay? I'll just tell you, I've been around, and every time God's gone, step it up. In fact, the most common thing God says is, double it. That's what God says to me. Double it. And guess what? Every time we have, we've had food on the table, we've had a house to live in, we've had cars to get us to and from work, every time. God has provided. Passive givers say, I'll do my part. In other words, you're already doing the math about what a dozer costs, and you're like, well, maybe that's the standard, right? Don't follow my standard. Follow yours. Less, more, it's it's not, it doesn't matter. It's what God is calling you to do. So don't do your part. Instead, say, it's got to take faith. Like, whatever it is, if it doesn't take me faith, then God's not stretching me. If God's not stretching me, I'm not taking my next step if I'm not taking my next step, I'm not being sanctified by Jesus. And if I'm not being sanctified by Jesus, I'm not moving anywhere. I'm dead in the water. So be aggressive about it. Start moving forward. So we close here a few things. For Paul, the gospel is greater than first his comfort. Maybe God is calling you to give up some comfort. Maybe there's something in your life that makes you really comfortable. And God's like, yeah, I'd like that from you. I'd like you to give that up, whatever it may be. And I'd like to use that for the mission. Maybe it's just to give up comfort in one way or another. For Paul, the gospel is greater than his freedom. Some of you have worked your entire life so that you could be at a place financially where you don't have to look at a budget. Because you remember the ramen days, right? You remember the PB&J days where that's every day you were eating PB&J, right? And you're like, one day... I'll be able to just drive by Red Robin and get myself a burger and not have to think about it, right? I just want freedom to do financially whatever whatever I want, right, in those moments. And you've worked hard for that, and God's like, you know what? I think maybe you were working for the wrong thing. I mean, we're working so that we can get free. God wants us to work so that others might be set free. He wants us to work so that other people can experience the same good news that you experienced. You're working for the wrong things. Paul gave up his freedoms, was literally enchained for the gospel. What would you do for what Christ has done for you? And once again, no, this is not about earning his love. He loves you infinitely. He loves you more than he can ever love you. You, could never, you, could, you couldn't give enough money to, to pay for what you've done, and neither could I. So don't feel like that. But this is about honoring what he's done for us. The last thing for Paul, the gospel is greater than his very life. He risked his life and ultimately gave his life for the sake of the gospel. Paul lived an aggressive life. He had an aggressive love for the world. And here's the deal. I think if you were to talk to Paul, it would be because he, he would say, here's why I did it. I did it because God changed me. And if he could change me, then he can change anyone. I think that's Paul's story. And it's all because of the aggressive act of love shown to us in Jesus, the most aggressive moment in history, as Christ dies for the sins of the world. He literally came to dominate the dominion of darkness and display his great love for you. And so if you're here today and you're like, you know, not even on the stairs, you're like, I'm not a first-time giver, I'm not, I haven't given anything. You need to know that you are infinitely valuable, that you are God's prized possession That he would and did do anything and everything to the point of death for you. And so know that today, maybe you don't feel valued. Maybe you don't feel like you've earned that value. Know this, you can't earn it. That's the point. God has imparted upon you, given you value as one who bears his image and said, I would do anything for you and I will show it to you to the point of death. And so we know about Jesus is he was a joyful giver. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, taking our shame upon himself. Jesus joyfully went to the cross, not reluctantly, not because the pastor guilted him into doing something. Jesus joyfully gave because he knew who he was, because he was already loved by the Father, and that was enough. For Jesus, being loved by his Father was enough for him. Everything else was to be used to move the kingdom forward. So would you stand up? I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for our church as we continue to fight the good fight in this. Jesus, thank you for this family. And we just acknowledge that there's discomfort in our hearts for a reason. And God, I ask that you would identify where that's coming from for all of us. I really believe, God, that you want to set us free. That this journey that we're on is, uh, it just starts within our own hearts, God, and that you really want to heal what's broken in our, in our own spirits, God. We confess that uh, we do worship our stuff, God. We worship our finances, God. We worship even a sense of self-security based on our own financial s- situation, God. And God, we seek to feel comfortable based on these things rather than from you, God. And we just want to place all of it before you. God, that we wouldn't feel shame financially. God, you didn't call us to do that. Whether we have much or little, God, may we simply be faithful to do what you call us to do. And God, in all of this, it's motivated by your grace. God, thank you that you love us, even in our greed. God, you heal us and you meet us, God, right in this place of selfishness. God, in all of these things, no matter what we choose to do, God, you just continue while we were still sinners. God, you died for us, and I'm just convinced you'd do it all again. Father, thank you for your love. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.